morning, I'm going to continue our series, Wonder in the Wilderness. Last week was the wonder of being led, and we talked about how amazing it is that we serve a God that will lead us. Because as I said last week, I don't know about you, but the fact that he takes the time to lead me is remarkable. The fact that he is willing to invest in my life when I'm worthless and I'm worth nothing and I'm, I'm trash and I've done all the things that I've done. He is willing to lead me is mind blowing. But last week we talked about being led and how he will lead us day by day and how he does it through relationship and through devotion and, and, and consistency and he just stays with us and walks with us and leads us, right? That was the day by day process of being led. Where today we're going to zoom out a little bit. Last week was the wonder of being led. This week is going to be the wonder of his plan. The wonder of his plan. Pray with me real quick if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence, God. I thank you that you're going to move mightily in this place. Father, I thank you that your presence would go forth, that the message would go forth in truth and clarity, with none of my own opinion, but yours coming out. God, that you would let every person on the sound of my voice lead this place change, wanting and knowing you more. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. I'm going to tell you a story. My brother-in-law, my wife's brother and my sister-in-law got married in Charleston, South Carolina on the beach. And it was a beautiful, kind of on the beach, right? It, we took pictures on the beach. And if you know me, you know that when I walked outside this morning, it might as well have been heaven. I mean, I don't know if y'all know this, but that's what it's going to feel like in heaven. It's not going to feel like it does in August. So if you don't like it, you need to just surrender to Jesus, get your heart right. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart and he'll make you enjoy cold weather. So, but getting married in July or August, I remember what month it was, it was July or August, in Charleston, South Carolina is not my particular brand of weather. And the only thing worse than being hot is being dressed up in hot. Like I am so thankful and I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm truly so thankful that I don't have to wear a suit to preach. Because when I was a kid, you had to wear a suit every Sunday. And I cannot imagine preaching in a suit every single week. I can't imagine wearing a suit every week. I just, I, nope, it's not for me. It's just not, I'd have been called to do something else. I'm telling you, it just wouldn't have worked. But being hot and dressed up is the absolute worst. And so we're in our, and like my, my goal for this wedding the whole time is to make sure that I make it to the wedding without looking like I wrestled a pig in a pool. Like that was the whole goal is to not look like an absolute train wreck by the time I made it to the wedding. And I was doing pretty good at first because I stayed inside. And then we had to go take pictures. Everybody say, Pastor Chris hates wedding pictures. Like if I get the chance to do your wedding, if you love me, take my picture first or last. Because it just I don't like pictures. I'm like, I want to stand. When I got married, I remember saying, I'm going to stand right here. And just change everyone around me. Just get this thing over as fast as possible, right? Don't like them. But want to take pictures for this lovely, beautiful wedding. Everybody's all dressed up in suits and everything. And, and we go on this bus. And the bus does not have air condition. But it's very breezy on this particular day. And we're driving down the road. And so it actually didn't feel that terrible on the bus. And then we got 
to the beach to take pictures is what I thought. And I'm like, what's well, breezy? And so we're on the beach. And so it should feel nice. They neglected to tell us the part of having to walk about three quarters of a mile through a national park to get to the beach. And this trail went through an area of trees about 10 to 12 feet high that were very thick, which means that all of the glorious breeze everyone else got to experience, except for the wedding party, who was taking pictures at 12 o'clock in the afternoon in July in the summer in tuxedos. So there we are walking. And they keep telling us how beautiful the pictures are going to be. Like the pictures, the area, the background's gorgeous. I mean, it's perfect. And we're walking and we're walking and I'm hating every second. And I'm contemplating why I chose to even marry Caitlin. Because if I wouldn't have married Caitlin, I wouldn't have been standing in a tuxedo at this wedding at this particular moment. This is absolutely miserable. Caitlin, why'd you do this to me? Justin, why'd y'all do this? It, wouldn't, it was Brooke's fault. Brooke, why'd you do this to me? And like, we're going on and walking and we're walking and I'm, we're getting frustrated. And you know how when you're on a journey with people, a wedding party, everybody's having a good time. And then like, like when you're walking somewhere far and then eventually you can tell when everybody's annoyed because no one's talking anymore. Right? Like, like we had all, we're all having fun, cutting up and everybody's being quiet. All you hear is, <sighs> all you hear is everybody's just huffing and puffing and we finally get to this promised beach. And it was as gorgeous as everybody said it was going to be. The pictures were great. One of the groomsmen did take off his suit and get down just in his underwear and try to cool himself off. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about how the journey was actually worth something on the end of it. And a lot of times what we do as Christians is we have two different types of people. Really just in general. We have people who think about the result. They think about down the road. They're visionary people. They think about where we're going to be in 5, 10, 15 years. And then you have the other person who thinks about where am I going to be for lunch. And we're usually gifted to think one way or the other. My wife and I are the exact opposite. I said this morning, I was talking to Mike on the way back, about how I would like to, by the time I'm 40, have a piece of property north of I-12 that I can go to and shoot things, blow things up, light fires, and evacuate from hurricanes. Because if it floods north of I-12, the world has ended, right? So... Like, that's my thought process. Go to all the five, 12, get a piece of land. And so I'm thinking, like, okay, I, I don't know. Like, I'm going to have a piece of land. That's what I just say. I'm going to have land. I'm going to have property. Well, if you talk to Caitlin, Caitlin's like, hey, we got Thanksgiving coming up. And Bethany's birthday's next weekend. we got to get the turkey. And we got to get the food and all the things. And so, like, she's talking about the immediate needs within, like, the next 10 to 14 days. And I'm talking about the next 10-year plan. And if you ask me how that's going to happen, I have no clue. Because I don't really care about the intermediate process. I just want to wake up one day and have 100 acres of land that I can shoot things on, right? That's the process, right? That I'm, I'm a forward thinker. Other people are right in the moment in front of them thinkers. And that's the way we live our lives. And that's also the way we view God. We view God from the perspective of one day I'm going to be here in Christ. Period. Don't know how. Don't know when. I'm going to be there. The other person is saying, God, can you help me make it to dinner? I need your grace, Lord Jesus, to make it to dinner. It's going to be tough. And we have to understand that God is in both. Because if we forget that God is in both, we become people who never, ever, 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 ever think about where God is trying to take us. So we don't take the steps necessary to get there. We don't start living now like we're going to be somewhere in the future. Or we only have our eyes down the road and miss out what's right in front of us. And it's important to remember that he is leading us 
day in and day out, but he's leading us according to his plan. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14 this morning. And Moses said to the people, Exodus 14 verse 13, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. You shall hold your peace. Before I dive into that, I want to do something real quick because I forgot to do it a minute ago. And I read the words fight for you and I remembered to do it. If you are here and you're a veteran, would you please stand up? And every veteran just got frustrated that I made you do that. But if you are, please stand up. Thank you. I told Mike this morning I, I did that, and it was Mike and one other guy at the Metairie Church. And most of the time when you talk to a veteran, this is nothing with my message, I just want to make sure I say this. Most of the time when you talk to a veteran, they don't like being recognized. They don't like when you say, hey, stand up, we want to clap for you. They don't like that. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was preaching on Veterans Day. So far I was parish, I was preaching on Veterans Day, and I read a quote, and everybody stand up. We brought them to the front, and we prayed for them and things like that. And I remember... I must have said like four times, I know you guys don't like this, but we want to honor you and things like that. And this guy, I don't, I don't know his name. He must have been visiting from out of town. I couldn't tell you who he was. He comes up to me after service and says, hey, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. And he says, listen, he said, um, no, most veterans don't like when that happens, when you make a stand up and you're clapping or whatever. Most don't like us. He said, but I'm going to tell you, Veterans Day is not for me. He was a veteran. Veterans Day is not for me. He said, veteran, Veterans Day does more for my wife and children than it does for me because it lets you know that you respect what we sacrificed when we weren't with them. And that totally changed the, the, the approach for me because when I'm thanking a veteran for serving, I'm also thanking and recognizing the sacrifice that his family went through or her family went through in the process. So we had about 10 people stand up. Please love on them, thank them, because because of what they did, we can do what we do. Amen? Amen. Let's jump back in here real quick. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace we're staying with the story of israel and last week we talked about how they were led by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night and it says here that israel came to the red sea and god says don't be afraid whenever god says don't be afraid that usually means that there's what a good reason to be afraid and so he says don't be afraid and they're up against the red sea but there's something very important we have to realize here is that israel was following the cloud and the fire. They were following the cloud by day and the fire by night, and they ended up in a situation that they could not get themselves out of. They ended up in a circumstance that they couldn't overcome. They ended up against an immovable object. The Red Sea was not going anywhere. That's important to know this that Israel wasn't in sin and found themselves against an immovable object. Israel didn't do something dumb. And this was the consequence of their action. They were following the cloud by day. And the cloud, the hand of God, led them to the Red Sea. I need to take a moment and I want to dispel the myth that I don't believe many people believe here. But it's out there. The myth of because I am a Christian, life should be easy 
and I should be happy all the time. That is a myth. There's nowhere in Scripture does it promise that when I give my life to Christ, everything gets better. No, what it tells me in Scripture is that even though it rains on the just and the unjust, when I give my life to Christ, I get to walk with him through the rain. Which is a much better situation or circumstance than walking through the rain without him. So here, Israel finds himself at the Red Sea. Have you ever found yourself facing an impossible situation? And, and you didn't do anything to be there. See, a lot of times we think that hard times are the result of dumb decisions. And, uh, and sometimes they are. When we fall into sin and we do stupid things, we win stupid prizes, right? And we end up with bad circumstances, bad situations, problems, and trials. But that is not the situation here. Israel is literally falling a cloud by day and a fire by night. They are doing exactly what God tells them to do. And they still end up at an immovable object situation they cannot handle. Go to Psalm 34 for me. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I know many of you have read these verses and stood on these verses. Some of you have preached these verses. This is the verse. Verse 18, the Lord's near to the brokenhearted and close to those who are crushed in spirit. That's a very popular funeral verse. And I've read it a hundred times. And Brother Manuel, for the first time this week, I read something and saw something I never realized before. Who is David talking about? Go back to verse 17. In case you need context clues. The righteous. The righteous cry out and he hears. And he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and near to those who are crushed in spirit or have a contrite spirit. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the who? Of the righteous. And the Lord delivers them out of them all. Well, Pastor Chris. Why would God afflict me? Why would God put me in a position where my heart is broken? Why would God have me walk through trouble and trial? And why? I don't understand. This doesn't make sense to me because I'm being obedient. See, if you're righteous, that means you're doing what God says. See, this is the reality of the fact is that I one day will stand at the funeral of my father. Unless the Lord comes back between now and then, one day I will stand and I will most likely preach the funeral of my father, eventually my grandmother, eventually my mother. Like this is going to happen as life goes on. And my heart will be broken. But God, why would you lead me through that? Why would you put me in circumstances 
that trouble me? Why would you put me in a hard place? Why would you? God, I followed you. I did what you said to do. I'm in life group. I'm in church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm not in sin anymore. I'm doing everything you said to do. And it seems that I was doing my thing in the world and I was doing great, but I knew I was wrong. So I came back to you and I'm following you and I find myself in a more difficult situation now than when I was living in sin and I've been following the cloud and I've been following the fire. Why God? Why God? And we ever found yourself there? When, when you don't understand why. And you're doing what you're supposed to. You do realize Israel could not question that God led them. It was beyond the shadow of a doubt that, see, we might have a difficult time knowing for a fact if God leads us or not because our flesh gets in the way, our emotions get in the way, and I don't know, there's no floating cloud of fire above my head telling me where to go. Right? They could not deny, hey, it moved. Let's go. And it moves them all the way to the Red Sea. Now remember, wondering is to be in awe and somewhat surprised at how amazing something is. We have to be in awe of his plan in the big picture, in the big process. We've got to be in awe of it because if we're not in awe of his plan, we will wander around in frustration. Now, if, if you gave me a scale of red, yellow, and green, frustration would be the first piece of yellow. Like frustration is like, I mean, barely not green anymore. You know why? Because we get frustrated easily. Right? Like when the microwave, when you put the food in the microwave and you didn't put it in long enough and you take it out and it's not as warm as you want it and you got to put it back in, you're frustrated. When you go to a fast food restaurant and the food is not as fast as your particular definition of fast in that moment should be, you get frustrated. Especially... When you compare their definition of fast with four cars to Chick-fil-A's with 27, you get frustrated. I inherited the just about always frustrated while driving trait of my father. Just about always. I inherited the when I'm frustrated, I tend to... My volume tends to increase from my mother. Because we're just loud people. But frustration is the very first thing because we don't always stay frustrated. Actually, no one stays frustrated. You get frustrated and then either you sit there long enough and marinate it and frustration becomes anger and anger becomes bitterness. Or I get frustrated and I realize that I'm frustrated over my bowl of red beans not being as warm as I wanted it when I put it in for 45 seconds instead of 60 seconds. And I put it back in and then 30 seconds later, I'm enjoying a lovely delectable bowl of red beans and who cares how long it took, right? That's the option when you're frustrated. But I'm going to tell you that even though you might not be frustrated with red beans, more of you are frustrated with God than you want to admit. Because frustrated is, it's the first piece of yellow. We wander in frustration. 
If I don't deal with my frustration, it becomes bitterness. Then I get mad. My frustration hits and I get mad at God. Then I stay mad at God. Then I disconnect from purpose. Then I disconnect from the body. Then I disconnect from what I'm supposed to be doing. That's frustration. Leads to these things. So, Pastor Chris, if I'm not supposed to wander around in frustration, what, what, what do I need to do? What can prevent me from doing that? Or I should say, why do I end up frustrated? Number one is we forget what he's doing. We forget what he's doing. Now, so often we think the promised land is the main focus or point of the journey. But many of you know, we have to remember that what God is doing in us is just as, if not more important, of a job as where he's taking us. Because at the end of the day, God wants you and me to look more like Jesus. That's the whole game. That's the whole purpose, to have you and I look more like Jesus. When it's difficult, when it's hard, when it's ugly, when it's great, and all in between, he wants us to look like Jesus. But I forget what he's doing. I forget that this is a process and it's a journey. He's making me more like Jesus. He is preparing me for where I'm going. He uses the journey. He uses the process to prepare me for the promise. Because the truth is, is that I'm not ready for the promise yet. Because if I was, I'd have it. Job chapter 9, one of my favorite verses of the scripture, I believe it's 9 verse 23, it's not on your screen. It says that your right hand moves though I cannot perceive it, your left hand moves though I see it not. Perceive means to understand what God is doing. So when we read the Bible, we see the fact that it talks about God's right hand. He upholds us with his right hand. And we're seen by his right, it talks about God, his right hand, his right hand, his right hand all the time. And it makes it sound like God has one arm. He does not. How many of you are right-handed? Raise your hand. How many of you are left-handed? Raise your hand. See, this is the percentage I thought we would have in Metairie, Mike. It was like 50-50. Like, I've never seen that before. But anyway, my grandfather could shoot with both hands. He was ambidextrous. He could do a lot of, he could write with his left hand. He could do a lot of things with his left hand. And, and there, there was no real weakness there in hand strength. There was a preference, but no real weakness. I don't know about you, but my right hand is strong. My left hand is not. Well, do you realize that God is not right or left-handed? So just as strong as God is in his right hand, he's just as strong in his left hand. But the thing is, the Bible always tells us what God is doing with his right hand. His right hand is holding me up. His right hand is carrying me. His right hand is, is working on me. So if his right hand is doing that, what in the world is his left hand doing? And if I, I had a mic stand, I would use it. But his right hand is working on me. His left hand is working on where I'm going. And so the same amount of work and effort and strength that he's using on me, he's also using on where I'm going. But here's the problem, right? God never finishes a job late. So he's working on the process over here. But that doesn't account for me dragging my feet on this side. 
So what will happen is, is there's a purpose appointed for you to walk in. And God has prepared it all these years. But God's working on you, but you're dragging your feet. You don't want to commit. You don't want to let him be Lord. You want to have some say-so still. And you, you struggle with it, and you fight with it. And the, the, the promised land shows up, but you're not ready. So God says, I, I can't use you, but i got to get my will accomplished. So I'm going to step over here and find this person who, no, they don't have the same gifting as you, same talent as you, same whatever as you, but they got the right heart because they've let me mold them, and I'm going to grab them, I'm going to bring them and give them what was supposed to be yours. Oh, God, don't do that. Read the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. We forget what he's doing. He is working in you. Philippians 1 6 says that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. He's doing a work in our lives. That's what he's doing. He's preparing us now. Now, the number one is we forget what he's doing, but this is the one right here. Number two, we forget why. We forget why he's doing it. Hand me that water right there, please. And I want to let you know that asking the question why is totally acceptable. Many of us don't feel, you know, we feel like asking God why is a problem. Why is it? Jesus did it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus has a total understanding of what God is doing. God is about to purchase the redemption of mankind from the power of sin. He's about to destroy sin. He's about to destroy the curse. He's about to culminate the entire redemptive plan of God through the cross. That's what's about to happen. Jesus knows what is happening. But in the garden, do you remember what Jesus said? If there is any other way, let this cup be passed from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus said, I know what you're doing, but why you got to do it like this? Have you ever asked that question? God, I know what you're doing. I know you're preparing me for a purpose. I know you've got a calling and a plan and a purpose on my life. But God, did you have to do it this way? God, I know that, that you're teaching me to have joy in all circumstances. But did you have to teach me joy at this job? God, God, I know that you're trying to teach me patience and long-suffering. But do you have to use my father-in-law? God, I know, I know, I know that you're trying to teach me love and, and, and humility and all these things. But did you have to let Brian Kelly be successful at LSU when I said he'd be a failure? Did, 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 that, did it have to go that way? I know you're trying to teach me, God, to, to, to die to myself and, and, and to be selfless and to, and to put you first. But, but do you have to use my spouse? Why? Are you doing it this way? See, we're okay sometimes with what God is doing. It's the why that gets us tripped up. We don't like why he's doing it. Look at Psalm 34. The righteous are following the Lord and are being obedient, yet they still have a broken heart and afflictions. Why? Why, God, I'm being obedient? Why does this keep happening? Go back to Exodus. The Israelites are following God. They are doing exactly what he said. And they find themselves up against the Red Sea. Why? Now, see, it gets, it, gets, it gets a little more complicated. Israel makes it to the Red Sea. The cloud leads them up against an immovable object. 
They can't do nothing about it in and of themselves. But you do realize that God could have led them there and immediately told Moses, take up your staff, raise over the wall of the Red Sea parts, we walk across the sea, sea closes, we're on our way, right? You do realize that that could have happened. But that isn't what happened. God brings Israel to the Red Sea and then the cloud stops moving and they wait. Doesn't tell us how long they waited, but they waited. Now, why would you lead me to a spot that I can't get out of? Why would you lead me into a situation? And see, all of you are saying, well, Pastor Chris, I know why. I know why. I know why. Then why aren't we living like we know why? See, this message is one of those messages where if you're not in a place of humility and ready to receive, you'll walk out saying, yeah, I knew that. But if you come in in reality and realizing that even though you know it, you're not living it, maybe you'll receive something a little different this morning. So Israel's up against the Red Sea. Why is this the case? Why did this happen this way? Because you see, it's not only that we got to remember what he's doing. It's not just we got to remember why he's doing it, but we got to remember who is doing it. Because when I remember who's doing it, I'll understand why he's doing it this way and the way he's choosing to do it. Now remember... Not only are they up against the Red Sea and the, the moving stops, the cloud stops moving, but if you know the story, Egypt starts coming up from behind them. So they're up against the Red Sea and they can't go anywhere. They're at, a, they're at an immovable object, but an unstoppable force is coming from behind them. There's no way they can defeat Egypt. There is no way they can possibly go to war and combat and fight the most powerful army on the planet at that time. And you got Israel is up against the Red Sea and they're watching as Egypt comes from behind them. And when you really think about it, God made them wait at the coast of the Red Sea until Egypt caught up. Oh God, why are you doing it this way? God, don't God, see, I got a feeling we're, we're going to call him Jimbo. Shout out to Jimbo if you watch this, Jimmy. Call the God Jimbo. I imagine that Moses assigned someone to just stare at the cloud. Like Jimbo, your job is to watch the cloud. Don't blink. Don't go get some food. Just stare at the cloud. Because I got to go find out what to do if Egypt gets here. But all you're going to do is stare at the cloud. Okay. And Moses runs off. And so, Jimbo! No, it's, it, it's still here. It didn't move. Okay. Moses solving problems. Hey, somebody check on Jimbo. Nope, still here. Didn't go nowhere. I don't know why he talked like this, but it does. <clears throat> didn't go anywhere. And Moses is waiting. And Egypt is coming. And gaining speed and getting closer. And Moses is realizing, and the, the people say it too, that you let us out of captivity to die in the wilderness. Egypt is going to kill us. We're not, they're not going to capture us. They're going to kill us. See, God led them to the Red Sea and made them wait till Egypt caught up so that God could not only show them that he's the only one that can move immovable things, but he's also the only one that can stop unstoppable enemies. Write it down because it's not in my notes. God waited and set them up. 
He, he literally led them to a spot that they could not get out of and allowed the bad guys to get so close. Think about how close this is for a minute. You remember me. The most, you know the story. God says, take your staff, raise over the Red Sea, the Red Sea opens. Now, granted, this is a couple million people. They are not walking across this sea with any type of haste. It's not happening. So God timed it. He's so big. Y'all, he's so big. He times it so that the Red Sea opens and Israel is crossing. Now, I don't know about you, and one of my Bible questions that I read and I want to ask one day is what made Pharaoh think it was okay or a good idea to ride horses on the Red Sea after the Israelites, right? Like, like this is not going to stay like this. Like, at some point, this, the details are going to change. What made him realize that it was a good idea to go chase? I'll tell you what it was. Because God let them get so close that they thought they could catch Israel before they got out the Red Sea. Some of you are wondering why God's leaving you in a circumstance. No, God's just letting your adversary get as close as possible. Why? Because if they didn't think that they could catch Israel, they wouldn't have gone into the Red Sea. And if they don't go into the Red Sea, God can't close the sea on top of them. So God had to let them be as close as possible. Let the enemy be as close as possible. Sandwich them in the worst situation possible. Just so that God could not only deliver them from the obstacle, but also destroy the enemy at the exact same time time. God is so big. His plan is so much larger. He's so much more in charge than we ever actually think or live like he is. Israel stands on the other side that day and they don't just say, man, God, God opened the door where there was no opening. He made a way when there was no way. No. And they didn't just say, man, God, God, God took care of that debt. God, I, I couldn't have paid that bill, but he, he took care of it. He, 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 got, he silenced the accuser. He, he, the person who was trying to get me fired, they lost their job. He didn't just get rid of my enemy. No, he did them at the same time. So Israel could step back and go, no, there is no God like Jehovah. There is no God like Jehovah. And you're sitting here, and if you know the story, you know that they still had another 40 years in the wilderness to go. But guess what Joshua never forgot? That day at the sea. When God toyed with the most powerful empire on the planet. Now come a little closer. A little closer. Y'all know they put the slowest Israelites in the back too. Come on, a little bit closer. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, Betty. Come on, a little bit closer. Boom. God set him up. Because you see, if you forget whose plan it is, you'll struggle with why the plan has to be this way. If you're struggling with why it's this way, you'll forget what it's all about. But I'm so thankful that the God I serve has a plan that I can't screw up even if I wanted to. I'm so thankful that the God I serve has a plan that is so massive, it's so large, it's so big, that my plan includes things I don't even know of yet. 
See, if you would have asked me to pastor this church in 2017, I couldn't have done it. There's no way. I knew I was called to. I had giftings that would have allowed me to. But there's no way I could have handled it. But there's absolutely no way that I could have handled the circumstances we're in with what I had at the time. But had I been pastoring for four or five years and these situations started, I might have thought that I was experienced enough or had enough gifting and and a little momentum going that I could have handled it. No, God said, no, I'm going to let you get your foot in the door seven weeks. Seven weeks, pal. And I'm going to just throw bombs at you for years. Years. Just bombs. In the form of water, but bombs. Water bombs. That's what I'm going to do. Because I never want you to think for one second that you had anything to do with where you're going to be.